Today, we are concluding our series on the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the Gospel of John. When I and my family, when we relocated from Orlando to Jacksonville eight and a half years ago, it's kind of hard to imagine that, eight and a half years ago, the first sermon here and my last sermon in the church in Orlando where I served was on this passage, John 21 verses 15 and following. And so it it holds a special place in my heart and one of the reasons I I chose it is because it's, it's the passage where Jesus calls Peter to love and follow him. And there's nothing better than that. There's nothing that, that kind of distills it down better than what, what is our life to be about? Loving and following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I wanted for the people that I was no longer going to be serving among in Orlando. And that was the first thing in my heart for you all. And I think it's a reflection of the Savior's heart. Let us love And let us follow Jesus Christ. And our Savior's heart is revealed here at the end of this gospel. He reveals it to Peter and John. And this is how John concludes his account. Peter had denied Jesus three times. He had said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not associated with him. He had denied Jesus three times. And now, Jesus brings him back with the same threefold question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And so I cannot think of a better question for us to consider today. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've walked with Jesus for a long time or it's brand new, this It is his kindness that we would freshly consider this question. Do you love Jesus Christ? And so I want us to consider this question together. If you have your Bible open to John 21, I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who would also lean back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's word, and let's pray and just invite his help this morning. Heavenly Father, Thank you that we can have fellowship with you, fellowship with your son, Jesus Christ, fellowship with others. We can share the very life of God, even though, Lord, you are a mystery, a wondrous mystery. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us in the midst of mystery to draw near rather than to shrink back, that in mystery, Lord, we might worship you, a God that we can't keep in a box, a God we can't exhaustively understand, and yet a God we can truly relate with. Oh, thank you, Lord. And I pray you would use this passage and these questions to Peter that they would echo down into our hearts today that there would be great love and there would be devotion to follow a glorious Christ. And we pray for your Spirit's help, perspective, that yearning in our hearts, Lord, to live with you and to live for you. And Lord, I pray for any here today that would say, I I don't love Christ, Lord, that you would use your word to ignite that love and that faith to follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this interchange between Jesus and Peter establishes one of the most basic things about a relationship with Christ. Right after Jesus' death and resurrection, his victory at the cross, 
what are the disciples to be about? What are we to be about? Two things. Loving Christ. Following Christ. It's so simple. And yet it isn't simplistic. And so let's begin with loving Christ. It was around a charcoal fire that Peter had denied Jesus three times that he knew him. And the only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned is around this meal in the verses preceding the verses I just read. This is a rehearsing, a rededicating of what had fallen away through the denials. And so Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Some people ask the same question repeatedly because they forgot. Some people ask because they're hard of hearing. Jesus is neither. He knows that, and Peter knows this. He says in verse 17, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus is giving Peter an opportunity to match his denial that was threefold with an affirmation of love. That is threefold. And notice that G, what Jesus is not asking. He's not asking, do you trust me? Do you fear me? What are you doing for me? Do you go to church? No, he asks, do you love me? Peter, am I number one in your affections? Because, as we will find out through the book of Acts and the rest of Peter's life, it's going to get a lot more difficult to follow Jesus than just a few servants asking if he knows the Savior. Do you love me? Jesus Christ puts himself at the top of our affections. That is his rightful place. And so before we think in terms, though, of what am I going to do for Jesus, we have to begin with what has he done for us? And what does that do in our souls? He had forgiven Peter his many sins. He had just died and risen from the dead for Peter's denial For every sin Peter had committed or would ever commit, he had declared Peter completely righteous and he had ushered him into a right relationship with himself and in his kind, kind, kind dealings with Peter, he asks, do you love me? Now this question, it's the litmus test for Peter And it is for us today. J.C. Ryle says that a more important question could not be asked. Do you love me? Do you love him? You know, perhaps you're here today as one acquainted with sin and failure and mistakes to, to the degree that it would be difficult for you if asked this question Do you love me? It would be difficult for you to say, yes, I love Christ. Perhaps you think you've sinned against God in a way that he could never forgive you. 
never love you, never again use you in his service and for his kingdom purposes. You've just, you've blown it too bad. Well, that's why this is remarkable then for you. Have you ever denied that you knew Christ? Such was Peter. Have you been immoral, sexually immoral? Well, such was the penitent woman who came in and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. We're told in Luke 7 she loved much because she had been forgiven much. Have you been a thief in your life, taking things that did not belong to you? Well, such was the thief on the cross next to Jesus when he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's go further. Have you been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of God, a murderer of Christians? Well, such was the Apostle Paul. And yet he said in 1 Timothy 1, that he received mercy as an example of those who were to believe on Jesus for eternal life. Have you been lukewarm and indifferent towards Christ? Well, such was the church at Laodicea, but Christ came to that church and warned them to bring them out of that lukewarmness, and he can do that for you and I. You see, there is no thing in our history that we could drum up as a reason why we would not be welcomed into his loving arms and why we could not love him in return. He has done so much. We don't just drum up feelings of love for him. Peter's resolve got him nowhere. We love him in response to the magnitude of what he's done. It's one of these things in my relationship with the Lord. I hope I never get over the amazement. And I hope you never get over the amazement that he welcomed you and forgives you and brings you into his family as a, as a child because of nothing you did, nothing good, everything bad, and he paid it all. May we never get over that. And after each of Peter's affirmations saying, yes, Lord, I love you, Jesus gives a command. So he asks the question, do you love me? And then follows each affirmation with the command. And you see it there in the passage in three slightly different ways. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. And even though those are just such simple, like there's just a few words in each of those commands, and it's so simple what we're talking about, and yet it, what we learn from each of these things is just massive. We learn that Christians are Christ's sheep. We learn that Christians are Christ's sheep. What an affectionate and kind relationship between creator and creation. The one who upholds all things 
relates to sinners and saves them like a shepherd bringing sheep into his fold. Christ cares for them, which means Christ cares for us, for you. He is the shepherd of all who trust him. A shepherd feeds and takes care of and goes after the ones going astray and protects them from predators. And Jesus is that shepherd for all who trust in him. This is a fulfillment. This theme of shepherding shows up a lot in the Old Testament. I don't have time to get into it today, but there's a lot of fulfillment of Jesus talking about having sheep, his people as his sheep. It's a fulfillment of Micah 5, which says that the Lord would raise up a ruler. It says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. You might also think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. This is not new with Jesus, but with Jesus, he, he makes clear he is the shepherd. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. So Christians, all Christians, every Christian you've ever met is a part of Christ's flock. They are Christ's sheep. And soon, Peter is going to be a leader in the church. Soon after this moment, thousands of people are going to enter into a saving relationship with Jesus. It would be easy for Peter to act like these people are his. And so it's why it's so clear right here, they're not. They are Christ's. Acts 20.28 calls the church the flock that he purchased with his own blood. They're not Peter's. Peter, you didn't die to save them. Jesus did. So the church is Christ. Every believer in Jesus that you and I know is precious to the Savior. Blood bought. They are his sheep. So we learn Christians are Christ's sheep. That's how he refers to them. And then we learn that Christ appoints or commissions men men to tend them or to shepherd them. Many of you know this, that the word pastor, our common word pastor, literally means shepherd. One who cares for sheep. One of Jesus' many titles is the chief shepherd. And so he is ultimately the one leading and teaching and caring for and feeding and protecting and guarding his sheep. But he calls and raises up men to be teeny tiny shepherds. He says, and that's what he's doing here with with Peter. He says, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. This moment had a profound impact on Peter because we see this theme majorly in his letter 30 years after this moment when he wrote 1 Peter. 
First Peter 5, he says, So I exhort the elders, which he's talking about pastors as well, here. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's a way that pastors represent the Savior. And Peter lays out, he says, this is the way. This is it. One day the chief shepherd is coming back for his sheep. You know, last week I had the privilege of being in... Uh, I was at a, a gathering of pastors from eight different churches. And even among those pastors, there was like seven last week that I interacted with of young men that are aspiring to one day serve as a pastor. And basically, they're prayerfully considering, Lord, what, how would you or would you have me tend your lambs in this, in this way? Jesus loves his sheep. He loves them so much, he came up with a dedicated role of care and leadership and protection, and he raises up these teeny tiny under-shepherds. They're fallible, they're sheep themselves, like me. And he says, I'm going to put you, and I'm going to entrust to you this charge of tend my sheep, because they're precious to Christ. And so we learn Christians are Christ's sheep. And we learn that Christ commissions men to tend his sheep. But then we learn how love for Jesus gets expressed. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And upon his affirmation, he says, feed my sheep. There's a connection between loving Jesus and laboring for his people. Loving Jesus looks like laboring for his people. Loving Jesus looks like, involves, necessarily entails loving and laboring for his people. Now, we know that Peter had a unique role that neither you or me or any of us is ever going to have. He was an apostle. He was chosen by Christ And God used him mightily in that role as an apostle. And so some of us here today would be like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an apostle. Tending sheep is not my job. I think that would miss Jesus' point. Because he's connecting this love for him with a laboring for the good of his people. We're not spectators, or at least not meant to be spectators, sitting next to one another in a stadium called the church. We are fellow sheep that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And our love for him is expressed in our love and care and discipleship and pouring into one another, protecting one another from the dangers of indwelling sin. This, as you know, is so not 2023 America, is it? In 2023 America, the individual reigns. It's all about what I want, me, my felt needs. People are all about themselves. People look at church and then we bring that to church. And I look around at church and I think, what am I going to get out of today? And yet Jesus calls us to something better than a me existence. Calls us into an us existence. We also live in a day where it is normal to say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand Christians. I love Jesus, but I don't really care for the church. Well, Kevin DeYoung, a number of years ago, wrote a book entitled, Why We Love the Church. It's a great book. I've recommended it to the youth, and Kevin DeYoung is a witty writer, and he kind of talks about in the intro how it's problematic to say, I love Jesus, but can't stand the church. And he says, well, let's look at the metaphors that the Bible uses for the relationship between Jesus and the church. One of those metaphors is Jesus is the groom and his church is the bride. And so DeYoung asks the question, he says, what would happen if you had a friend And every time your wife walked into the room, he rolls his eyes and sighs. Oh, great. It's her again. Would you feel like that's a good friendship? Or does that friendship have a good future to it? He says, of course not. And then he says, let's look at another metaphor. In the Bible, Jesus is the head and the church are the members of his body. So he says, he poses the question, Somebody says, oh, I really like that person's head, but just the arms, you know, the torso, uh, the neck, don't even get me started on their feet. I just can't stand it. It's revolting. Well, you don't like that person because that's a package deal. He looks at a third one of Jesus is called the cornerstone or foundation and the church is the building. Again, who says, looking at a foundation, man, I love that. I could do that basement all day, but the rest of that house, no good. Hate it. That's a package deal. Now, I I want you to hear this. Don't get me wrong. The church throughout all ages has had problems and sin Every local church has, is full of saints who are also sinners. And there are also, in, in every church, those that profess Christ but are not necessarily true believers in Christ. They're welcome to hear the good news to turn from their sins and enter a relationship with Jesus. But get this, the church is still plan A in the purposes of God. The church is still the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Living stones are being built onto the foundation and Christ is the precious cornerstone. So even though there are these 
problems, and there will always be problems in the church, there are also promises. Jesus promised, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is still his flock, comprised of little local flocks like ours. And so woe to the one who belittles or dismisses what is precious to Jesus. Woe to the one that disses what Jesus died to save. And he has, in his grace, joined himself to his church for all eternity. That's a precious thing. And so he says, Tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Loving Christ means laboring for his people. If we love the groom, we will work for the good and purity of the bride. If we love the head, we will work for the health of the whole body. If we love the foundation, we will love and work for the good of the entire Building. If we love the shepherd, we will love those that are so near to the shepherd's heart. That's what comes through in those words. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. So after Jesus has Peter reaffirm his love for him, he then lays out what it means to follow Christ. Follow Christ. Look at verse 18. Jesus says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, He said to him, follow me. So unlike the former days where Peter went where he wanted, did what he wanted to do, he would now follow Christ and this would eventually lead to his martyrdom. The phrase here when he says, you will stretch out your hands, that's a very... um, That that phrase is most often used for crucifixion, the stretching out of the hands of the individual. And we know that that's the case because of the, the parenthetical remark in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Peter would follow Jesus, not just to the grave, but to crucifixion. And church tradition confirms this for us, that Peter was crucified. Peter lived with the reality that the days of doing what he wanted to do were now over. It was a daily reality for him. And church, the same is true for you and me. The days of doing what our sinful nature 
our selfishness, our, yes, I'm the captain of my soul, are over. We're not to be basically living out our lives according to our own personal agendas. Uh, Christianity is not a buffet of, oh, yes, I like that promise. Oh, yes, I like that piece. Oh, yes, I like friends sometimes. I, you know what? I like something to do on Sundays. Yes, I'll take that. Thank you. No, it is full out following Christ. And so Christ calls us to follow him. Sometimes that's easy. A lot of times that's hard. But it's always about him, always about his will and not our own will. You see, if we were, if life were about living in the nicest place possible, I'm not sure how many of us would be here. I mean, Jacksonville's nice, don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of nice things in life. But we don't do things just because we can or because they're convenient or this is where we grew up or merely just good opportunities. We, we are called to do them following hard after Christ. And so this interchange between Jesus and Peter after he hears the news that, whoa, following Christ is going to lead to a certain painful death, Peter then turns and he sees another disciple. It's John. He's often called the one who Jesus loved. It's the writer of this gospel. He uses that phrase of himself. And he asks Jesus in verse 21, after seeing this man, he's like, Lord, what about this man? And what I love about this is it's like, oh, it's good to see grown-ups acting like children. Not much changes for us. Peter's thinking, wow, this really stinks. I don't know if I want to die like that. I don't know if I want for the next however many years of my life this crucifixion thing hanging over my head. How was your day today, honey? Yeah, it was good, but, you know, eventually I'm going to get crucified. Like just that that's the route that the Lord gave him was this impending, like a lot of us, we don't know how we're going to die, but we, we come up with ways that we don't want to die oh, I don't want to die that way, and oh, I'm fearful about dying this way, and oh, Lord, may, may I go in this very peaceful, easy, quick, and painless way. And it's like the Lord promised him it's not going to be quick, easy. It's going to be torture. And so you can, I, I get the impulse of Peter to be like, Lord, what about this man? I would like to trade my life plan and my life death with this man. Lord, what about John? And Jesus gives him one of the most practical responses in all of Scripture. Verse 22, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? Peter, it's none of your business. I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for John. Following Christ doesn't mean we all do the same things. It means we're following the same Lord as he leads us individually. And Peter 
cared more about his lot in comparison to others than he cared that his lot had been chosen by the Lord and had been chosen to glorify the Lord. You see that in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. This was set out. This is going to bring so much glory to Christ for you to go in this way. He's saying, I know that my life and death are going to glorify God. This is what Peter's saying. But is there an easier way? Is there another way? Is there another option available? Is there something maybe closer to the beach with a little bit less cross in it? Something where I can both follow you but still have a wonderful life. Maybe something more like what you have John doing. And so, church, this gets to contentment. Contentment with where the Lord has us. Contentment. I know some of you are going through really tough things in life. And the lot that God has assigned to you is attended with with difficulties that I would not want to be in. And yet I see you glorifying God. And I just want to encourage you to hear the words of the Savior, especially when you're struggling with discontentment, to hear, what is that to you? You follow me. Which, by the way, the word you there is emphatic in the Greek. At the end of the day, he's he's saying it doesn't and it shouldn't really matter what everyone else is doing. We shouldn't base our plans on what's popular or trending. You, you, you follow Christ. It doesn't matter what so-and-so is doing. It doesn't matter if so-and-so is not following Christ. You follow Christ. And why? why? Why are we to love him so greatly? Why are we to follow him in this way? Well, it's because, thirdly, he is the glorious Christ. And we could go to any part of John's gospel. This is what he's been laying out since the beginning, that Jesus is incredible. He's fully God. He's fully man. He's the glorious Christ. But he distills this down for us in verse 25. Read with me. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now I've been to some fairly large bookstores a couple weeks ago, almost got lost in Chamberlain's book mine. I've been to the Library of Congress in D.C. Some of you have been to even larger bookstores. Consider this, if everything Jesus did was written down, the world could not contain the books that would be written. None of those libraries If we added shelves, 
to every building that you've ever been in, just, just line, just nothing but shelves here. Every building, every home. If we just wrote it all down, it, it, there's just not enough room all around the world to contain who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So how, how does this apply to us today? Well, church, this book is incredibly short. This, this, this is so short. God could have said so much more to us. Do not think in reading the Bible, this is all that God had to say. No, th- this, is, this is all we could take. This is all we could imbibe. He's so great, so glorious, we cannot. So if you and I struggle with a certain passage or a certain doctrine, we are not even close to dealing with all the data points that God has on that doctrine, on that truth, on what happened, on who Christ is, on what he has done. God in his wisdom considered finite humans that he made were glorious. He made us in his image, but he considered us and he said, this is all they can take right here. This is it. But there's so much more. So much more to him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Job wrestled with his friends over this. As they were, have, they were responding with like real pat answers about God when he was in the midst of suffering. Why did this happen to him? And I think especially in suffering, we're looking for more answers. And here is one of the things Job responds with. He says, Job 26, 7, that God stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power... Who can understand? He says these are the outskirts of God's ways. Another translation uses the word the fringes. So you have a garment, you have the edge. And he says, yeah, these things, they're they're just the edge of what we know about God. He's so much bigger, so much grander. To know him. And so God, and this is incredible church, God invites us to know him. 
He gave us as much as he gave us. And John is writing what he's written so that we might know him. Have a relationship with him both now and all eternity. So that we would know that our sin which has separated us from God has a remedy. His name is Jesus. And he came and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead in order to bring you, bring me into that right relationship with God. There's no amount of good that we can do to get right with God or stay right with God. We needed a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And God wants us to know him. But at the end of the day, he's just given us the edge the fringe, the outskirts. One book that's a short book compared to all the things that he could say. Jesus is worthy to be loved. Jesus is worthy to say, follow me and for us to follow him because he is the glorious Christ inexhaustible. Uh, Ed mentioned at the beginning of the sermon or service about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Google cannot get to the bottom of the riches of Christ with a little search. The riches of Christ. Dink! Infinite. I'm sorry, Google failed. That's what we're invited into. We're invited to love him and follow him And yet he remains a glorious mystery. If I can invite the worship team to return. Church, may we take much encouragement from Peter's sin and faltering and the way that he is invited into loving and following Christ. May it never be that our sin keeps us from Christ, but leads us to him. The more we know of his forgiveness, the more we know of his kindness, the more we will want to love and follow him. And so let's receive that good news and let's receive his heart. He's got sheep. I'm looking at sheep this morning. He loves you. He's tender towards you. He came up with this whole idea of protecting you and feeding you and tending to you. And then church, let us take up his heart with one another. Let us, in loving him, labor for the good of his people. The people he wants to bring into his fold, those lost sheep, and the ones that are in his fold, the ones he has saved. Let us labor for the good that each other, we might be tended and fed, discipled and protected, all to the praise of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for your kindness displayed. Kindness to Peter and John, but now echoing down through the ages, kindness to us, Lord, that we could have a relationship with you is incredible. And as I prayed at the beginning, so I pray here at the end, Lord, if there are any here today who do not yet know you, 
who are not of your sheep, who would say, I I don't know if I actually love Christ, and I sure know I don't follow him, Lord, that today would be a new start. Today would be a day of trusting Christ and entering his fold. Lord, I, I pray that none would shrink back because of sin and unfitness, but we're just so grateful that you've made a way through Jesus for even the greatest of sinners to be forgiven. Help us to love you. Help us to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.